Good morning and welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up. almost forgot to put myself in the virtual studio there. Sorry about the delay. Happy Tuesday. We are starting today in Psalm 66, verse 13. I think the main idea is very well represented in this one line. Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. So there's a couple of things to unpack here, a couple of main ideas. First, this is directed to believers, this message, all who fear God. Often the messages we use, we are to use, we are to say, they differ between believers and non-believers, in part simply because the message may make no sense to non-believers. So, for example, if, if they don't believe in, in God, the second part of this message, I will tell you what he did for me, makes no sense. Because who is the he if they don't believe in he, if they don't believe in God? The second item to unpack here is that we're directed to share our praises with believers by sharing what God did for us. And I believe that a reason for that is that it helps strengthen other people's faith. If you ever found yourself like in a crisis of faith and there's a fellow believer on a path in a different place than you and and their testimony about what God did in their life, maybe recently for something, might be enough for you to gain strength from your own faith. And and this is an important point that even if someone has just a, a hint of faith, this could help bring them deeper into the faith. So if someone's heart is completely hardened, not open to the idea of God whatsoever, saying how God delivered on prayers and giving praise is going to fall on deaf ears. But if there's even that little, you know, as they say, mustard seed in there, then we are encouraged to share our stories to help encourage other people's faith. We go over to New Testament. We're in John 13, verse 18. This is at the Last Supper. Jesus says, quote, Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. Any, anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. So I think there he's giving encouragement to the disciples. Except for that, then right after that, he says, but, but one of you is going to betray me. The disciple was like, well, who, who? And Peter's the one who actually spoke up. John asked Peter, and Peter's like, well, why don't we just ask him? He's the one who said it. So Peter asked Jesus, and Jesus says that, okay, the one who I give this bread to is going to be the deceiver, and the one I dip the bread into a bowl and then give to. And I I don't know what's in the bowl. I don't know if it's wine. Um. I'm imagining it's probably not gravy, as in biscuits and gravy. But being in the South, that's the first thing that came to my mind. But 
it's a it's a sign, it's a signal, and then he dips it and then he gives it to Judas Iscariot. And then there's an interesting line from Jesus. He says that after Jesus ate the bread, Jesus told him, quote, do what you're gonna do. So here we have this understanding now. Jesus knows what's gonna happen, Judas knows what's gonna happen. Jesus knows Judas knows what's going to happen, at least as far as the betrayal aspect of it. And yet Judas goes anyway. Now, there is a line there that evil, something along the lines that evil entered into Judas when he ate the bread. But I often have to think, I mean, what was Judas thinking? He, he, he should have understood the divinity or at least the specialness of Jesus, and yet he's he's selling out Jesus for a few pieces of silver. Even after seeing all this, and even after getting called out, so if he had any hope that this was going to be done under the cloak of anonymity, that just would have evaporated right there. Jesus basically said, you're the one. But here's the other thing that's interesting. Jesus almost sounds like that he gives him permission. Like, you have to do this because otherwise Jesus can't do what he needs to do. I think that there was some work done. I don't know if it was um, a gospel according to Judas or if it was a work of fiction or if it was a study, but the question that it addressed was along the lines of, did Judas understand what he was doing and did he do it out of incredible faith that he knew exactly what his role in the story was? I don't know. It, it's, it doesn't seem to be supported biblically in the Gospels, but it's an interesting thought the the again the only support that i would submit for that is just this little statement here because it's almost as if again jesus and judas had this understanding going on go ahead do what you're going to do or it could just basically be like you know the other way around where jesus is continuing to call him out and judas just left decided to do it so after judas is gone he tells the disciples he's going to be leaving and then they can't follow where he's going at this point in time, but eventually they'll be back together. He leaves a command, just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So we are directed to show we are Christ followers by our actions, not to tell by our words. But and then again, you get back to the hardened heart. Preaching about the gospel to someone who has a completely hardened heart is not going to be fruitful. They have to have that, quote, mustard seed of faith in there somewhere along the lines. But a lot of times, and as I've mentioned before on this podcast, it 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 is when you're a Christ follower, it changes you. And that change is visible. And sometimes what happens is people will look at you and say, there's something different about that person. And if you ever have the opportunity for someone to ask you that, that's the 
greatest opportunity to say, to answer and say, it's Jesus who changed me. Let me explain why, if you're interested in hearing, because now their heart has just opened slightly. They asked the question. Well, and then the reading ends with, I won't go into details because we know the story, but Jesus is telling Peter, basically, you're going to deny me three times. So even you, Peter, are going to deny me three times that you even know me before daybreak. Old Testament, we are going to Samuel, 1 Samuel 13. Now, Samuel was, or Saul, rather, was 30 when he became king, and he ruled 42 years. Now, I'm assuming that all this is at the beginning of his, of his reign. With a small contingent of special forces, Saul's son, Jonathan, won a battle against the Philistines. So, we're, we're already introduced to the idea now that it's not just Saul. It's more of a family affair, at least Saul and his son. His son has bought into this idea of being of Saul being king. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that, I mean, it could just very well be that Jonathan was already a military commander at this point in time. Well, this emboldened Israel, this victory. And then on another campaign, some Philistines chose to run instead of fight. But Saul was concerned about his forces being depleted and, and, rather than wait on Samuel, who was supposed to meet up with him in seven days. See, and th this is why I think that this might be in the beginning of Saul's reign, because when Saul and Samuel left, when we last left them together, um, uh, Samuel had said something along the lines, I'll see you in seven days. Um, and I might be confusing a timeline there, but I think that that's what this is referring to. Anyway, but eventually Samuel does arrive. But before that, Saul performed his own burnt offering sacrifices. So he does that to gain the favor of the Lord before going into battle and with the depleted forces. And, and then Samuel comes up and he's like, what did you do? You, you just totally ignored what the Lord told you to do. I'm guessing that Samuel was, was high priest, still high priest. And really there was, there was very specific, only certain people or person that could perform sacrifice. And certainly Saul apparently was not one of them, even if he is king. Well, Samuel was very upset about that and said that uh, Saul was very foolish. He's going to lose the kingdom because of that action. And then they part ways. So Samuel gloom and doom and leaves. Battle preparations continue with only 600 men. Now, an interesting note, if the Israelites needed iron weapons of war, a Philistine blacksmith had to make them because Israel did not have blacksmith technology at this time. That brings us to 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan went on an unsanctioned scouting mission with a small party against the Philistines. They are discovered, but they won a skirmish against the Philistines. They killed 20 because Jonathan believed the Lord was with them. Now, this panicked the Philistines, the rest of them, who began to retreat. And also in this confusion, some killed each other. I, I'm guessing that they thought that um, they were killing Israelites because I think the Philistines were scattered a little bit in preparation for battle. So they didn't know who they were fighting, is my impression. And that's it for today. Hope you have a great day and hope you live today as if the king is coming back today. Take care.